Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Hello everyone, Richard Crow here and welcome to On The Grid, a weekly in-depth look at the Australian motorsport scene here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. On The Grid covers everything from supercars to S5000, TCR to Australian GT and a whole heap more. Weekly spread of interviews, news, views and opinion on what makes the sport tick down under. We'd love to have you involved as well. If you've got any questions about Antipodean racing, drop us a line on the socials by using at the race talk on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, and we'll include your question in the next show. So that's it from me. Grab a beer, put a snag on the Barbie, fire up some Bathurst on the TV and crank up your V8 and enjoy an Aussie look at our great sport. And let's welcome the show's host with the most, the voice of the Melbourne cricket ground as well, is Tony Shebecki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid through the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Another big show coming your way, Young Gun and the current Formula Ford Australian champion Angelo Mazuris to join us for a chat as will rally driver and new pit lane reporter Molly Taylor. We also dissect the Supercars TV deal and talk about the BP Supercar All-Series, All-Star E-Series. But first let's look at what's making news in the motorsport world and hear from the people that are making the news. A big field of wildcards will join the All-Star E-Series this week, with races being held at a virtual spa. Former supercar full-timer James Courtney, the latest to be named, in the field for round five of the series. Hi guys, I'm pretty excited to be joining the E-Series tonight um, and moving in through the rest of the uh, the campaign to finish it off. So uh, it's pretty awesome to be there with Boost Mobile. Uh, I'll be carrying number 44, which I had all the way through my karting when I was here in Australia, and it's pretty excited to have that back. Um, but then also to have that connection with Boost Mobile and my relationship with Jason and Peter uh, Adderton continues. So uh, super excited. Never done any of this E-Series or sim racing before. So it's going to be pretty interesting. But uh, you can catch all the action from about 7pm on Wednesday night. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can uh, do okay. Dunlop Super 2 Series rookies Jade Nojada and Brock Feeney will join the field, as does Red Bull Junior driver and son of a gun Jack Doohan. I'm very excited. After watching the past four rounds, as well as racing with a couple of the guys on iRacing and normal hosted races. So now going into it, I think just being adapting to the car model. Um, I haven't really done too much on there. Obviously, previously driving in all single seaters, nothing with a roof over my head. So it's going to be a good challenge, but I'm really looking forward to it. Also continuing his drive around the world is F1 McLaren driver Lando Norris, who will drive for Wilkinshaw Andretti United. Hi, everyone. I'm super excited to announce I'm going to be joining the Supercars Grid in Spa this week. Um, there's a lot of very fast drivers in it. It's going to be very tough, very competitive. But uh, I've watched pretty much all of the races so far from the championship and, uh, and it looks a lot of fun. So I'm very excited. I hope you are too and um, I hope to see you all on Wednesday. Let's hope things go a little bit better for Lando. Better than they did at the virtual Indianapolis on the weekend when he was taken out by Simon Pagano in their iRace. Lando explains what happened. He said he wanted to come into the pits and that he wanted to slow me up. Um, and he wanted Askew to win. He didn't want me to win. He wanted Askew to win. So he tried slowing me up a little bit. Um, 
and then was going to come in the pits. But, uh, yep. Had no intention in taking me out. So, do you know how many freaking hours I put into driving the lift? Do you know how many, ta- how many hours I've spent? Do you know how many times, right? I've gone like this. Too wide. Like, I'm trying to perfect it. You know, with the most delicate touch, I've tried. I've tried doing it freaking one-handed. I've tried doing it with my knee, you know, just driving like this. 24 hours. Because that guy gets a bit bit salty that a non-IndyCar driver is about to win an Indy race. It just ruins it. The great news, though, from that race was two-time supercar champion Scott McLaughlin driving his Team Penske virtual IndyCar to victory in pure Steve Bradbury style. I'll let the commentators explain what happened and make sure you listen to Scott in the background at the finish. It's magic. Through to the lead on the final lap. Now Award wants a shot. Takes him out. Askew's going to go through. And Ferrucci's got a shot at the lead in the draft. Santino Ferrucci, can he get Oliver Askew to the yard of Frick? They crash across the line. Scott McLaughlin's going to (laughs) win. We won. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, we won. You are man. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. All right, just done all the media and stuff. Uh, end of the iRacing um, IndyCar Challenge. Uh, you know, the, the Indy 175. Um, yeah, we got the win. Unbelievable. Uh, really cool. Really glad that Pertec got in the victory lane today. We got pretty lucky. In Australia, we call it a Stephen Bradbury. Um, I basically did that. Everyone crashed in front of me, and I won the race. So um, we got lucky. We put ourselves in a position, and... I thought we were only going to get third there, but we got we got the W. So, um, yep, overall really happy. And, uh, yeah, look, it's uh, just really cool to be a part of it. Thanks to all the American fans and, and new fans of mine that have embraced it and embraced me in the series. Uh, hopefully I get to race on it sometime soon. But, um, you know, this has been a good good little uh, thing apart from that. Thanks to IndyCar.com for that audio. The first of 132 light towers have been installed in pole position at Sydney Motorsport Park, placing the Western Sydney venue in the spotlight as Australia's first permanent motorsport facility with the ability to operate both day and night. The light tower was craned in and installed in front of representatives from the New South Wales government, supercars, and also the ADRC, signalling a brand new era of motorsport in Australia. Supercar CEO Sean Seema said the introduction of lights at Sydney Motorsport Park offered significant opportunities for the future of motorsport in Australia. Yeah, this is a big deal for us. We've obviously been on this journey with the team here at the ARDC for a couple of years now. We were here in 2018 uh, racing under temporary lights, so it's been a long-term project and it's great to see the lights going up. Our fans and our sponsors, our partners, love us racing at night. I think you see that from the first race that we had here, so we're itching to get back. Yeah, look, I think it's important to acknowledge that there's not a lot of high-class, world-class motorsport facilities left in Australia. It's great that we have a flagship facility like this that can actually run 24-7 now. Um, and as, as we have less racetracks, uh, the ability to run 24-7 is really important. So... For motorsport, for supercars, for everybody, this is uh, this is a great facility and, and hopefully we can keep more tracks like this going across Australia. C 
Seema also assuring fans that a new look calendar for 2020 may not be too far away. Yeah, so obviously we're going through what every other sport is in terms of looking at our restart protocols to make sure that we're able to get racing again as soon as possible. Uh, we're targeting uh, in the next sort of seven to ten days to be able to update everybody on what the rest of the season looks like. And we finish off this week's news with F1 and Managing Director for Formula One, Ross Braun, has outlined how F1 intends to start and the biosphere that will become the racetracks. Well, we're working very closely with the FIA. The FIA doing a great job of putting together uh, the structure we need. And everybody will be tested and will have uh, clearance before they can go into the and then every two days they'll be tested whilst in the paddock and that will be with a authorised authority and um, consistent certainly for all European races we'll be using the same facility to conduct that testing uh, and we can ensure that uh, everybody has been tested who is in that environment and tested regularly and then we'll have restriction rates on how people move around within the paddock so yeah, we, we cannot socially distance with a team. We cannot have a stop and socially distance. So we have to create uh, an environment that within itself uh, is effectively a small bubble of isolation. And the teams will uh, stay within their own groups. Uh, they won't mingle with other teams. And they'll stay at their, their own hotels. Um, there's no motorhome going to be there. Catering facility. Uh, make sure that respects all the requirements. And then we're just working with those people who sometimes have to go to all the areas, how that, and uh, what we can do there. Thanks to Sky Sports for the audio. Uh, joining us on the line, Richard Crowell from theracetalk.com. Hello, Crowley. Hello, Shebexter. How are you? Good, mate. Another big show coming up. We've got uh, Molly Taylor joining us, of course, a rally expert. It's going to be great to talk to her about what's coming up in the future. We've got young Angelo Mazuris from the Super 2 category, who, of course, drove with the big boys last week in the E-Series. And uh, Mark Walker to join us a little bit later on as well. Yeah, and we're going to have a bit of a chat about the current drama in TV land, in supercars in particular, with their uh, reports coming out this week about Channel 10 possibly not buying into the next round of TV rights. So we'll break that down, tell you what it means, and try and shed some light on that in our semi-informed way that we try to. But good guest roster tonight as well, Shebex. Uh, really looking forward to getting stuck into it. Yeah, left without a drive after Subaru pulled out of the ARC. She's now found herself a gig over in the US, as well as a television gig as well. Molly Taylor, welcome to On The Grid. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on board. First of all, congratulations on how 2020 has panned out for you in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, thanks. It's, um, I mean, at the end of 2019 and the first part of 2020, uh, there's a lot of work to try and to try and bring something together and, you know, a whole lot of plans up in the air and, and it seemed right when it was all, all the pieces were starting to come together. Um, yeah, we, we found ourselves in this other whirlwind of uh, global situations. So it's been um, an interesting few months and, um, you know, obviously um, that side of things is all on hold at the moment, but hopefully when uh, we can get back out and racing, there'll be some cool opportunities lined up. First things first, Molly, let's talk about TV. Uh, and congratulations on your gig there with the uh, ARG categories in the Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships this year. You're joining the crew. Uh, you're going to be on the microphone. That's a bit of a change-up for you. 
yeah, I hope you're going to be nice to me and uh, <laughs> take Always. it easy with the first couple of rounds. Um, it's going to be, yeah, I mean, when, when they asked me about it, I, I just thought it would be a fantastic opportunity and I had no plans to race in the TCR series. So to be able to still, um, you know, diversify my skills, be around motorsport, obviously, um, you know, we all need a job in this climate as well. So, um, you know, to be able to combine all these things in this new opportunity, I just thought it would be um, something that I would really enjoy doing. And, and I love, you know, hanging around the pits and, and getting to know the teams better, looking at, um, you know, from a driver's perspective or all the work you do on the technical side and strategy and, and to be able to sort of, I guess, be behind the scenes, seeing how that's uh, unfolding down the pit lane. It's a whole lot of uh, things that appeal to me about it. And I think the, um, the challenge for me is going to be being the interviewer instead of the interviewee. It's something that I don't have much experience in. So there's going to be some, some tricks of the trade and, and some knacks that I'm going to have to pick up. But uh, I'm just looking forward to trying something completely different. Yeah, but you've always been a really good media performer in your role as a, a driver, champion driver, as an ambassador for Subaru and the other brands you've been involved with. Do you find that stuff comes naturally to you? I know your mum as well in the, the Neil Bates days was also always fantastic in an interview and in front of the camera as well. So is it just something that comes naturally or do you have to work on that side of it? Oh, I think there's definitely some work to be had. Having my mum as an example has been fantastic and she's the she's the first one after every um, interview that she'll listen to or if, if she happens to be there at the time and I've been interviewed, she's <laughs> she's behind the cameraman sort of waving and mouthing, talk slower. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> She's she's good at critiquing me, um, and I think when you, you when you look back at stuff you do at the beginning of your career, you, you definitely do have those cringe moments. So I'd like to think it's something that that you work on, but but yeah, I guess you have to be comfortable as well um, in that. So a bit of both. Because I tell you what, though, you've got some uh, great old heads in the sport to sort of learn from. Krause, of course, part of the commentary team with Greg Rust old. and Matt Nolte. And also uh, Jack Perkins as well. So the experience there is a, a massive asset for you in regards to learning from those people and, and getting that job right. Oh, exactly. I'm going to be on a, a very steep learning curve, but you're with the best of the business. So, uh, not, and Krause as well. So, it's going to be a baptism of fire. But I mean, it's like TCR was for me in the driver's seat last year, but being surrounded by Kelly Racing and, and he being surrounded by that commentary team um, will certainly help speed up that learning process as fast as possible. Well, TV behind the scenes is 99% sledging, 1% planning. So you're well <laughs> on... Sounds like motorsport across the yeah, board. It, it is. I think it's a universal constant. You're well on top of it now. That was <laughs> the old from you, Shebex Dude, at the MCG. Yeah, Sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. No, look, it is. It's a cool team. I, I'm really keen to get stuck into it. And um, these, some of these great categories. What, what was your take on... TCR last year, Molly, you mentioned it was a baptism of fire, really tough year, first year of the category in a not particularly reliable car that battled at times and a team that was new to it. So, and your first year in circuit racing, a massive whirlwind for you. What's your take out of it a couple of months down the road? Yeah, it was, it was everything at once. Um, and unfortunately we, we did, we had a couple of finishes, but we probably had more mechanical DMFs than we did finishes. Um, but look, it was a, for me, it was a fantastic learning experience and it's not often or really ever that I've had an opportunity to jump in something so different and, and so new, it just, you know, right from, right from the get-go. So I was very much aware that I was on this learning curve. So for me, 
even though we didn't have all those other um, performance factors that lined up for me, I was just learning every time I was getting in the car. So it was more about that from, from my side. And I feel like I definitely did that and, and felt like I was you know, learning a lot, making great progress and, and really enjoying it. And I mean, I remember the, the very first round uh, in Sydney Motorsport Park. It was the first time I'd done a proper start like that. And I completely stuffed up the, I mean, you watch it on the telly all the time. So, you know, you know how it works, but I didn't, um, I was fair way up the, the grid, the back of the grid. So it was, I had to look all the way. There wasn't much time from when we stopped to when the, the, the lights went out and they held up the five second board. But I just had it played in my head. I was just thinking about the lights. I wasn't thinking about this board. So when they held up this board, I couldn't, all I could see was the five. I couldn't see seconds or minutes. And so I was going five five what is that <laughs> what, what is that five it can't be five minutes surely not and th- that whole process took more than five seconds so by the time I looked up the lights were already on and I didn't know how long they'd been on for <laughs> and then they're out and then we're racing it. oh man <laughs> but um but yeah I like I really enjoyed it and I think um it, it definitely made me a better driver on the track but also I could transfer a lot of that to rally too was rally driving always going to be it for you? And I know you, you've got the family association there, but was there any ever thought of doing other forms of motor racing? Not really. It was always, it was always rally um, from when I started. It wasn't really even an intention to do rally, I guess. It was only when I got my licence for the road that I went to the rally school that my dad was operating at the time purely from a driver training point of view and the goal was to for my sister and me to go there and learn how to drive manual competently do some car control exercises and for me that was the first time getting behind the wheel in a rally car and, and that's really when the bug hit for me and so it was always it was always down the dirt path uh some news from you more news you've yeah. stitched up a tv career and now you've uh, announced <laughs> some new rally stuff as well which is terrific um just tell us a little bit about your plans and heading over to the States to do some rallying. Yeah. So the, the original plan was to uh, hook up with the Dirtfish rally team over in the States. So they um, started off as a, a rally school and still operate a, a huge rally school over near Seattle. Uh, they've also just launched a media platform, which is, you know, essentially promoting all things rally uh, globally, but, but really heavily in uh, North America. So they're putting, a lot of resources behind growing the sport um, and have a very good reputation over there. And so I, I approached them um, at, towards the end of last year and um, we yeah, spoke and we had lined up to do two rounds of the American Championship this year, which are, are supposed to be one supposed to have been and the other one's supposed to be soon. So obviously they've all been postponed. So hopefully um, they will be a rerun and we can pick it up or, or pick up something. Um, a, a mutual friend, colleague, competitor, uh, Will Orders, who I know quite well, spent a lot of time over there and um, spoke very highly of some of the stages in some of those rallies that they're up there with the best here and, and anywhere in the world. So do you know much about stuff like the Oregon Trail Rally and, and some of those events? Have you put much time into researching that already? Uh, only from watching the Subaru uh, America's launch control episode. They obviously show a lot there and, and you know, as much as YouTube. Um, but, yeah, then everything sort of got halted before the, the honed down, you know, getting on board from other drivers. So I haven't haven't been to that level yet. But from what I've seen of, of the roads and, and the roads in America is, is some of them seem quite similar to what we've got here. Um, very fast and very flowing and they look fantastic. So, um yeah, they, they look like the kind of roads I like. 
and getting to do it in a WRX as well. That's nice and handy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Australia and, and America are, and, and New Zealand and a few places still have the way our regulations are set up in our top tier of rallying um, to accommodate the production-based cars rather than, than in Europe where they're a lot more um, bespoke and kit-style um, builds. So um, Subaru, the, the WRX in, in those markets is, is a really competitive and strong performer, and particularly in America, a Subaru's dominate over there. So it was with having the association with Subaru still here, uh, it was great to be able to continue, obviously, the work we do here. Hopefully, the plan was to get out for a few rallies in the Asia-Pacific region as well, um, try an event in New Zealand and, and then add the US thing and kind of do a bit of, you know, a few different things um, to try and, and get a, a foot in a few different doors. Uh, but, yeah, being able to do it all at the, the, the top tier of the domestic categories in a Subaru. Is there a concern for rally driving around the world at the moment, Molly, in, in regards to, I know a lot of categories are suffering now with COVID-19 and will you know, find it really hard when things restart again. There's always been a sort of question mark around rallying with you know, people who just didn't want it to happen through forests and the like. Has this sort of hurt it even more? Oh, look, I think it's definitely not a great environment for motorsport across the board and, and the resources and, and for the, the private teams putting together sponsorship and, and obviously businesses are hurting at the moment. So for sure, it's, it's going to be a challenging 12 months ahead. But I think, you know, there's so much innovation that's going on within motorsport and, and rally is no different that, um, you know, it's going to force us to, to adapt maybe a bit more and a bit faster. But I think, you know, there's definitely, there's enough passion and enough will and determination and, and forward thinking to be able to uh, come out of this. It just um, isn't going to be a walk in the park, I guess. Uh, 2016 Australian Rally champion, remarkable season, four years on, which is hard to believe. <laughs> um, four years in the 13 months that this year has gone for so far. Um, do you still re uh, reflect, fondly on on that remarkable season and everything that you achieved in your IRC career in particular yeah it still feels surreal I think it felt it didn't sink in at the time and, and I don't know if it ever will really it doesn't feel like four years that's for sure that's that's a bit depressing actually <laughs> <laughs> been, been trying to do it again and it's um mm. yeah it's it's funny when you you know it was more than we expected that year and so we went in just kind of focusing on each event as it came and and that consistency ultimately was was the main driver of the success um so you know you go into the next year thinking okay we'll just do the same thing and then you realize it's you know it is really bloody hard to, <laughs> to uh to win a championship um so i've been trying to do it for, again for a while and we've come close but um yeah i think it's just been you know for me as cliche as it sounds living my dream and, and being paid to drive a rally car and working with an amazing group of people and an amazing manufacturer and um to still be able to, to keep that relationship going. It just is, um, yeah, the, the whole, the whole thing that the championship and just, just being in that position is, um, you know, you still pinch yourself. Well, I'm looking forward to working with you this year. It's going to be great between yeah. you and Perkins. We've got <laughs> great talent from a racing car driver front and, uh, Nolte, Rusty and I will be watching out uh, because I reckon you're going to do us out of a job eventually, but that's fine. Because <laughs> I think your job will be very safe, but hopefully we can add a different perspective. Yeah, I <laughs> think you're much more qualified than I am anyway. My only advice to you, Molly, is if you're not a shit stirrer, quickly learn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely um, have, have learned that the hard way, I think. <laughs> yeah. 
it's, it's motorsport, isn't it? You've, you've got to do you've got it. To give as good as you get, right? Absolutely. Yes, exactly. It's going to be fun, Molly. Can't wait. And uh, I'm sure we'll be at a racetrack talking racing cars very, very soon, I hope. Let's hope so. Good on you, Molly. Thanks for joining us. Really do appreciate it. And good luck with the remainder of 2020. Hopefully it's not too far away. Yeah, thank you very much. Molly Taylor joining us here on The Grid. Oh, Crosby, time to catch up with a good young driver. He's had his first race in a Super 2 car a couple of months ago when we were back in Adelaide. And now from that, had his first opportunity to race against the big boys in the BP E-Series, All-Star E-Series in supercars. Angelo Mazuris, g'day to you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thanks for coming on board, mate. First of all, congratulations on uh, how it's all coming together in 2020. It's been a pretty hectic and fast-paced year. Yeah, it was uh, pretty fast-paced at the start of the year, and it's uh, all slowed down at the moment, but um, still enjoying enjoying the E-Series side of things. Um, yeah, baptism of fire to jump in with the main game, guys, last week. We'll talk about that in a minute, but what was it like lining up on the streets of Adelaide for the opening round of Dunlop Super 2? It feels like five years ago, but it was only <laughs> two months. What was that like for your, your main game debut in a touring car? Oh, yeah, it definitely feels like a whole season ago. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, the first race was pretty daunting, you know. Um, thousands of people watching you and um, first time in a sedan. So, uh, it was it was definitely nerve-wracking. But sort of once we got going, it, was, uh, it felt like home pretty much. So, it was cool. Yep, go-karts into Formula Ford, Formula Ford champion uh, two years ago. Or last year, actually, I should say. Last year. Last year, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, your first time in a sedan just take us through your whole mindset of uh, of doing that. You know, I, I I don't know. Like a lot of people have been uh, sort of saying to me, oh, I had you sort of adjust so quickly. But like even last year when I got to, was fortunately enough to drive a Percat supercar at the end of the year, um, sort of, I sort of, I don't know, felt like home almost. Um, so, you know, moving into Adelaide, the only big thing was sort of racing. Like I sort of, I wasn't the quickest, but I had pace. It wasn't, it wasn't really much of a, a pace issue. It was just me sort of racing because I've never had that experience with, you know, one and a half ton worth of car around me, especially at a, a street circuit. So, um, you know, I, f- I found it quite difficult in that sense because I just had lack of experience almost. So still still pretty cool. Uh, as Shebeck's mentioned, Angela, you've come out of the, the school, the finishing school that is uh, Sonic Motor Racing in Formula Ford. The great Mick and Maria Ritter, who are an amazing family and have done so much for so many young drivers. Just talk about that experience and how that process has prepared you for this jump into into Super 2. Yeah, so Formula Ford's pretty much a, a junior development category, if you say, and uh, we were fortunate enough to go with Sonic and uh, sort of bed in all the good all the good driving techniques early in my career, which I was, you know, I was pretty happy with and, um, and, and dad, and we all made the right decision to go with Sonic and uh, sort of did a couple of years um, sort of putting around midfield, which wasn't too, too great. And then we sort of made a massive step up last year. Um, you know, they, they pushed me quite hard to do well last year and, and it was, and it sort of worked out for me. Um, they, they definitely developed some, good drivers have seen in the past especially formula ford you know most of the supercar drivers at the moment have done formula ford so it was great uh michael ritter is famous for calling it like it is to his drivers that <laughs> take a corner off or have yeah. some drivers were you were you on the receiving end of any famous ritter tear-ups throughout the season well i think everyone has it <laughs> <good> for him <laughs> so but yeah you know i, I got to give it to him it works so mm. he does a good job of developing developing drivers 
Yeah, he certainly does. From Sonic, of course, we know that their association then goes up into uh, Porsche Carrera Cup and also the, uh, the, the the Michelin Cup Series. Was there a thought, the Sprint Series, was there a thought on your behalf to take the Porsche route other than Super 2s or was the uh, the Triple Eight attraction just too much? Well, it was sort of split 50-50 between going down the whole European route or the Australian route. But, you know, as a kid, I've always wanted to race supercars. So we sort of stood back and sort of thought about it, you know, like I can go down the Porsche route, but that doesn't give me experience in a sedan that's got a front engine and low grip, you know, small tire um, and really loose. You know, the Porsche is quite the opposite with the engine in the rear and such. But it was definitely a thought. We, uh, we were fortunate enough to have a test day in the level five, uh, Thing with McElroy. That was a lot of fun. That was sort of my first sedan experience um, at QR. Uh, but yeah, I fell in love with the whole, you know, sedan racing and driving at the end of last year. So that was definitely a possible route in the, in the Porsche. But, you know, once that, uh, the triple eight sort of deal came up, it's like an offer you can't refuse really. It's been a dream of mine to, to race supercars, especially with triple eight, you know, like that's one of the best teams on the grid at the moment. So how can you say no? One of the best teams on the grid, Chevex, for the last yeah. 20 years. So you arrive in Adelaide and your teammates are seven-time champion Hall of Famer, one of the greatest ever, Jamie Winkup, Shane Van Gisbergen, who's one of the fastest drivers in the history of the sport. Craig Lowndes is there as a co-driver. Garth Tand is there as a co-driver. Can you believe the company you're keeping at 18 years of age? You know, like I'm still sort of six months in almost in Brisbane and I'm still sort of pinching myself thinking, Oh, this is, this actually happening sort of thing. It's such an unbelievable, unbelievable experience, you know, um, never thought it would happen and it, and it has. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Is Roland Dane just a little bit more calmer than, uh, Michael Ritter? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's different, different methods for a similar result yes. though, I think, isn't it? Between the two of them, they're very, yeah. very yeah. Very different operators. So you, you mentioned it's only been six months, but if that, but what have you already got out of this Triple Eight experience? I mean, they're an incredible racing team with two decades now of just outstanding high performance in every aspect. So what have you taken out of that already? What have you learned as the driver, but even broader than that as a person out of this experience so far? Well, you know, as you've said, you know, they've been in supercars for over 20 years and all that experience has is, is getting passed down almost, you can say. And, um, you know, I'm just learning through everyone even working there, you know. So I work in the stores, which I'm, I'm pretty happy with because I get to learn about each individual part that goes on the race car, you know. Not, not many people get to do that. And even that understanding can make you quicker as a driver, knowing what component does what, you know. So when it comes to setup time, you can be like, oh, maybe we should make this adjustment because you know what it does and how it's built. It gives you sort of more mechanical sympathy as well because you understand how much time and effort is put into making such a small part. So even things like that you learn that you wouldn't learn not working for them. The, uh, we, we spoke about the whirlwind that was the start of the year and it really was. An 18-year-old gets uprooted from home, moves up to Brisbane, into a place by yourself. Things are happening. You're getting ready for the first race in March in Adelaide and then all of a sudden we've got this lockdown. you you've got no work, you're at home alone, come home a little bit, but had to race back before Queensland shut down altogether. Yes. Gee whiz, six months of growing up 
you've turned from 18 to 24, I reckon, in six months. Yeah, you've taken the words out of my mouth. Like, the first six months have been absolutely chaotic. I've had to learn how to drive a supercar and learn how to be an adult at the age of 18. Um, you know, like cooking and cleaning, something that you wouldn't think about at the age of 18. I've, I've had to learn that pretty quickly. Does it sort of make you give, does it give you a little bit of an experience of how even guys who are younger than you have tried to make it overseas on their own? Oh man, I, I don't understand how anyone younger than me has done it. Like if you hear stories about 15 year olds living by yeah. themselves in Europe, like I, I can't imagine how hard that would be. Um, now, can we just clear something up before we go any further? There, there's a little bit, Shebex, of a, we call it a little relationship here between the Mazuras family and the Shebeki family. Yeah, there now, is am I, Angela, am I correct in saying that your mum cuts Tony's wife's hair? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So you two yeah. know each other. That's the weirdest six degrees of motorsport separation I've ever heard. Yeah, it's pretty strange. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Now, the it. great thing about that is in 10 years' time, when he's a Triple Eight champion <laughs> after Jamie's <laughs> retired and Shane's given it away, we've Couple got first days. interview. Well, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I thought you were angling for some free haircuts, mate. I thought that's fine. Oh, and free haircuts, yeah. Mum, mum does a great job. There's I'm no sure doubt mum about will be that. fine with that, yeah. I'm sure Lynn will be listening as well, so hi to you. I, um, there is a question out of all this, though. Um, so, obviously, the, the Super 2 series is a great breeding ground for, for moving into the main game. So, that, that's obviously a target, and that makes perfect sense. But have, have you sat down and gone, this is where I want to be in two years, in four years? Have you had this discussion with T8 as well? Is this something you're, you've got a plan for or are you just sort of taking it year by year and seeing how the career goes? Well, we've got a plan for it, but it, I guess it's all, it's all up to me, right? And how I perform over the next couple of years, that will dictate what happens in four years sort of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, that, that's definitely the plan is to hopefully move and progress through the team, which is, which is the ultimate goal. But again, that's all up to me and, and how I perform on the track. It's interesting, Shebex, that Triple Eight are doing a lot of future-proofing at the moment, it seems, as well. They so, sort of have to, don't they? Well, they do. Like, so Jamie coming in as a, a team co-owner, Jess Dane, yeah. Timmy Miles, who's been on the show before, um, and now this Super 2 program, which they've run before, and, and it's almost like a, it's a perfect in-house program to shuffle people up because Jamie's got a finite life in the championship and Shane as well, though he gets the vibe. He could just drive anything forever yeah, until correct. he's a hundred years old, but um, no, it's, it's great. And um, it's cool to see as well, Angelo, big outfits like T8. And, and I realize there's financial implications involved as well from your side, but um, giving young drivers a talent, isn't it? it, it um, giving them an opportunity to have a crack and, and show their stuff at, at, a, at a very, very high level. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like you said, you know, T8 have, have taken that risk and given me that opportunity and I, and I can't be any more thankful for doing that. You know, it's a, it's a massive risk for, for taking on someone that's never driven a sedan before and, um, and running their only car, um, all for me sort of thing. So, you know, I can't thank them enough for it. A couple of your uh, Super 2 uh, guys are also getting the opportunity this week to race in the uh, the BPE series, uh, Jane Ojeda being one of those. What was the opportunity like last week to test it out against the guys? And then I suppose running with Jamie Winkup for the uh, that reverse grid race. Yeah, um, yeah, it was pretty cool getting the call up to do that. Um, I've been you know sort of an avid sim racer for for a year and a bit now, sort of thing, and I love it. You know, having some some sorry, some cutting some laps with mates and uh, you know just 
just having a bit of banter and then taking it on the serious side like last week was. You know, um, Ollie and I, my engineer from last year that we won the championship with, took it pretty seriously. So, like, every sort of test session I had and test hour I did, he was there with me, you know, taking notes and such, taking it pretty seriously. And, you know, having that opportunity to race against, you know, the supercar drivers was uh, pretty cool. Yeah, and also just to be part of the broadcast. And there's a lot of people watching this E-Series stuff. It's the only, literally the only live sport going on in Australia at the moment. So, you were front and centre amongst it all, which was a very cool thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we had a lot of pace throughout the races and uh, fortunately qualifying didn't go our way, but that's how E-Series racing is. And, that's, you know, crash and, supercar racing is as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A bit of crash and bash through the, all the races, but that's, that's how it sort of played out and that's how E-Series is at the moment. But it was a lot of fun, you know, especially that last race running up front with Jamie and, um, you know, seven-time supercar champion, you know, in front of you was uh, quite daunting, but had a lot of fun. And um, that's, I guess, that's all that matters. You had the opportunity to see Brody Kostecki uh, race in the Super 2 Series in Adelaide. We got to see him race a couple of weeks ago at Bathurst, and he really took it up, didn't he, to uh, Scotty McLaughlin and Shane Van Gisberg. And he's, uh, he's not a bad driver and, and a guy that you can really keep your eye on throughout the Super 2 Series, I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely the, the pacemaker in uh, in Super 2. And as we saw even last week, uh, sorry, the week before in uh, the Bathurst round, he was definitely definitely up there and he, he definitely can drive. So he's one to keep a, an eye on. Well, mate, it's going to be really good fun to see when we eventually get back to some real world racing, how you go in the what's left of the Dunlop Super 2 series. Uh, I know you were looking forward to Simmons Plains to build on what you did yeah. in Adelaide, but um, there will be a round two. It will be at some point in the near future. So uh, really looking forward to that. And we're, um, we're keen to see how you progress, mate. So well done for everything you've achieved so far. Thank you. Thanks guys. Good on Angelo. Angelo Mazuris joining us here on the grid and joined this week by a very learned Mark Walker from the race talk.com. How are you, Mark? Shebexter, Kralzy, uh, the world's still a bit crazy, isn't it? I don't think well, it's getting worse. It's a little bit more normal for you. Queensland seemed to have lifted some some restrictions. We're still suffering here in Melbourne, and at least you're going to be able to see your mum on Mother's Day, Crowley. Yeah, well, we we never actually went full lockdown here in Team South Australia, and as we record this, we're 13 days, touch wood, it stays like that, uh, without a new case. So uh, it's actually quite optimistic over here. It's about time we got some optimism here in Central Australia rather than you lot in the eastern seaboards. But, uh, yeah, it's um, it's not got any less ridiculous, though, this whole situation. And uh, I haven't got any less impatient to go back to car racing. But uh, there you go. Uh, nice to have you on the show, Mark. Just before we launch into this, um, 1998 Bathurst 1000 two-litre race. You popped a gallery up on the racetalk.com about that uh, this week for yes, your sir. throwback Tuesday. Um Discuss what a what a cracking motor race! I, I wasn't there. I remember watching it on television and thoroughly enjoying it. I love my two liter cars, um, but they were some cracking good photos. It was a bit of fun. Um, the start shot from Hell Corner because what a nerd I used to sit down with my Bathurst annual each year with the map Bathurst and put a dot on the map everywhere where there were photos taken from the book. So mm. I could when I got to Bathurst, yeah. I knew exactly where to stand, and it was at Hell Corner on the first lap. So I was real clever that year. I left the apartments, uh, some hotel down the main street of town, down George Streetway. I walked to the track at 5am, got there before the gates opened, ran inside, stood there right on the corner, 
and I was the only person standing there until five minutes before the start. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you got the photo, though. Full credit. I got the photo. And it was an amazing weekend. I mean, it was the battle between the S40 Volvo and the Nissan Primera, uh, Rickard Rydell versus Matt Neal. Uh, Rydell and Jim Richards, and the Primera was Steve and Matt Neal. And it was an absolute cracker all day long. Rickard Rydell's pole lap in the shootout was perfect. The indelible memory from that weekend for me was him going so slow into Murray's corner on that shootout lap and just absolutely gunning it. It was like the polar opposite of the grassy go down the escape road and get a big run up. He's slowed it right up, given it a big bootful out of there, and his lap time was ridiculous. So it was something that it'll be interesting to see when TCR cars go there, what sort of lap times they're going to stack up against the old Super Tourist aspects. I think what I like, Mark, is the fact that your very opening photo shows two very damaged cars, one of those being the Harvey and Nielsen Volvo and another car in the foreground, and that just typifies Bathurst, doesn't it? Well, that was a great wreck. That was a really good one. Um, little Miss and Pulsar-looking thing from New Zealand, binned it when Percy style it with Philly Park. It uh, exploded. There was just bits of Nissan everywhere. The two Audis were sort of tailgating each other around the the track at the time just slipstreaming each other uh the front one that wound up finishing third the brad jones car missed it looked like a piston sitting in the middle of the road the second out he got it exploded i think that was paul morris driving that one he kept it off the fence but then the next three cars through all uh binned it through the s's which was uh champagne bathurst yeah you know those uh they propped the field up with those schedule s cars from new zealand because they couldn't get enough super tourists to fill the grid but as it turned out it didn't matter because it was a cracking motor race in that famous battle between uh father and son at the end there which was great and i agree with you on the rydell lap it's one of the great bathurst laps it, it's it's murph lap of the gods closely followed by rydell and then mclaughlin the uh, the three for mine in terms of just how far they move the goalposts. Um, and it's interesting to note that iRacing has proved very, very accurate when it comes to lap time predictors. And the TCR cars were doing, I think they were doing low 16s in their first round of their eSport, the ARG eSport Cup. So maybe 15s in quality for a TCR car, but bear in mind, it's 22 years down the road. It's, um, that's not a lot of progress, is it? Actually, my big memory from that shootout, I was standing up at Reed Park. I was the person standing up at Reed Park for the mm. shootout. And Peter Hills, remember him in the Mondeos? Oh, yeah. Yep. Mondeos? He uh, went through, he was he got in the top 10, qualified 10th, uh, some eight seconds off record Rydell. But on the cool down lap, he saw me as the crowd, and I've never seen a driver more pumped in his life. <laughs> he was there shaking his arms and nodding his head and absolutely pumping it through. But uh, Eight seconds off the pace. Well done. He, he loved it. Uh, fun story. And I don't want to derail the whole show about a super touring retrospective, which we probably could do. Um, Hillsy night racing as it was, was the first race team I actually worked for yeah. um, at Malala super touring round. Oh, I can't pick the year, but he had Alan Gurr. Uh, yeah. In the, in the second car. It was when Tula, it was the end of, super touring basically of, of it being a meaningful thing um so audi and volvo were gone i reckon by then and um it was d the dude in the bm and hillsy and dave auger in that alpha and things like that but um when you say work was being... payment a uh, a pie and a soft drink well no no it wasn't you know it didn't get paid at all it was just an experience to be part of it i don't <laughs> even know how it 
I think I just got in touch and said, hey, I love those. I love those Mondeos. They were cool cars and they sounded great with that little V6 revving its absolute nuts off. Um, but that team was run by the late Graham Watson, who was Rolls Australia. And what he was an unbelievably intelligent bloke, expat Kiwi, who ran a really good race team. And he ran that team for Peter Hill's that year um, and just really good experience. And he would later rock up in formula three running Tom Tweedy in his first year mark in F3 racing. So I got to work with Woody again um, and we miss him. He was a, a legend of the sport. So fun little sidetrack there. Um, my other fond memory was him running out of brakes at Calder and sending the thing down towards the, uh, the Calder highway there through the escape road at turn one. And to put a full stop on this, we've got a story coming up on the race talk quite soon. Uh, on Aaron McGill, the perennial mm. under underdog, the battler, the battler's battler. And he harped on about how great the Mondeo Superturas were. He reckons that was the best race car he ever had. The hum of the Fantastic. beast was just absolutely spot on. So stay tuned to that one in the not too distant future. Well, I reckon Hilsey's got a story. I, I reckon we might. He's just gone back to racing, I think, in a, in a radical in New South Wales late last year. So might, we'll try and dig him up, and um, there's probably a yarn in that because that's a cool area that not many people talk about. Anyway, there has been some actual motorsport news. Shebex this week, of sorts. Yeah, there has, Cosy. We had a fair bit of it at the start, but uh, a couple of things that have come out of supercars before we look at their TV deal is, I suppose, first of all, James Courtney back into supercars, driving in the E-Series in a Boost Mobile-backed, not for any specific team car. Yeah. Uh, is this the first time someone's entered an official supercar race with zero team affiliation? I would have thought so. Because <laughs> he, he parted ways with Team Sydney, which was inevitable. Um, hasn't done yeah, a deal to purgatory run Purgatory racing. Yeah, purgatory racing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. So, yeah, hasn't done a deal to run an enduro drive with anyone yet, but uh, making a comeback as a wild card. I, I'm out of the... Um, out of the next E-Series round. I'm excited to see uh, the graduates out of the Kumo Series, out of what was Super 3 last year. Uh, Jaden, the Juice Ojeda. And Brock and, Feeney, uh, yep. And the Fiend, Brock Feeney, who's a real talent. So both of them are young drivers, and they've both been nice and young, and they should be really good at sim racing stuff. So, um, yeah, it's good to see them in. But, of course, Lando Norris Lando jumping Norris. in. going to add a, a massive X Factor to the next round of that series. So I think, yeah, I'm going to get shot down here. I think Lando Norris, that's fantastic. I think Courtney in there, he'll have some followers. But mm-hmm. having these young Dunlop series guys, they're not bringing fans with them. I understand they're in there for the right thing. They've got some Dunlop backing and they're keeping Dunlop engaged that way. But this whole E-series, it's keeping all the main game series sponsors engaged with their programs when they otherwise wouldn't be getting their eyeballs on the television. And I just don't think there's a need to pad out the field because... We're just causing a bit of first corner chaos here, aren't we? Yeah. That's in my mind. You don't need to have more cars than a, a grid and a wild card or two that's going to bring something to it. Like, I don't know how many extra eyeballs Jack Dillon's going to bring to this. No, well, well zero. And that, that's the thing. But from a wild card perspective, I, I do agree with you. But I think this is the most cost effective way that they can ever give people a wild card opportunity without spending the money. And as long as they've got a Lando or a Max to add that X factor. Mm. It doesn't matter how many other cars they've got. The carnage aside, but even then, supercars are still not even cracking 30 cars, whereas ARG have got 45-odd, and the carnage is just twofold. 
But I, I think the other thing is, is that because of the way this series works, the standard's quite high. Um, and these Super 2 guys that come in are all, like the, the Brody Kostecki thing we saw at Bathurst, they're all pretty good. Um, and even Angelo Mazuris last week ran with Jamie for a while. Jamie's had his downs in this series and struggling. But yeah, look, I, I see your point, but I think it's worthwhile just from a brand and an exposure point of view to show, and, and we've talked about this on the show before, that supercars have not done a good enough job in propagating the Super 2 to supercar thing. Correct. So even in a virtual way, this is just sort of putting their arm around these kids and going, hey, you know, you're part of this. There is, you know, we're trying to encourage a bit, of, even if it's just an exposure thing for the TV, then it's just making people aware that this Super 2 thing exists because there's a couple of years there where, you just wouldn't have had a clue that it was on because they just never did anything to, to give it a boost. So yeah, as always, there's, there's a couple of arguments to be made pro and pro and, um, and cons for this. It'll be interesting to see how many viewers Lando brings in from Europe, like Max brought in. There was a definite spike there when Max was a part of the field and did very well. Obviously last week in North America, having those North American guys, Joey Logano and Alex Rossi, didn't really move the needle at all because it was 5 to 7 a.m. on the East Coast and 2 to 4 a.m. on the West Coast. So it was mm. never going to get an eyeball extra out of the United States. Going back a week before that, we had Brody Kostecki did a great job. Probably the best eye racer in the field that night, first or second best. Would that evening have been any better had it been a battle to the finish between just um, Scotty McLaughlin and Shane Van Giesbergen? Because that's what it was going to be without Brody in there. Would that have been a better thing to resonate with the fans or not? Having the third wheel, I thought, just made it even more interesting. It gave us an opportunity to cheer for someone that we normally wouldn't and just put an extra... Oh, no, I didn't mind that in Bathurst. Once again, I agree with Carl. Exactly. I can see exactly what you're saying and don't necessarily disagree. But I think the opportunity to just give these kids a, a chance to show their wares, not a bad thing. Yeah, what it, what it did do, though, was add another competitive car. Because that yes. early into the E-Series, it was Shane and Scott and then a gap and you're sort of your next group of your Anton. Anton's probably in that group as well, I would He's imagine. He's been up and down, hasn't he? Yeah, so Andre's there or thereabouts, a couple of others quite quick. But what it did was give another absolute legitimate flat-out contender. So I don't think it mattered who it We could have been Joe Bloggs from Ogdenville and he would have jumped in and... Um, if he was racing on the map. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know what I did love about it? The fact that he gave him the bump and run Brody on Scott and then mm. Brody smiled about it and just, this is, there you go. Cop it. I thought that was just beautiful. It just shows it, that these guys aren't afraid. It was true to Bathurst though, wasn't it? Because Bathurst, yeah. you every now and then get a wild card at the front, having a go where they shouldn't be. We've seen stories of that over the years. So yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I'm keen to see how Lando goes. Lando has by far and away the biggest Twitch following of racing car drivers. So that's going to be key. And the UK time zone works pretty well for this. It's in the morning. So um, from a European point of view, I think it'll um, I think it'll work well. And I'm interested to see the digital uptake from a Facebook live stream and, um, and certainly from a Twitch perspective for this round. I think it will be... It should be a noticeable surge with his um, his X Factor, especially after the events at Virtual Indianapolis on the weekend. Which the outburst, which we fun. heard earlier on in the show, was fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, oh. really looking forward to seeing something oh. like that happen again this week. The other news out of Supercars before we get into the TV 
deal is the fact that uh, lights have just been started to assemble at Sydney Motorsport Park. Uh, the first set of lights, or the first light actually going up on the start-finish line this week. Uh, it's an exciting period, isn't it? And the fact that they're not racing there means that they can get this job done and ready, and hopefully they'll be racing under those permanent lights by the time they get going in a couple of months' time. Yeah, you'd like to believe that that August, late August date for the Sydney Super Night will still be a thing or somewhere near it that we can go there and, and run probably without punters, but we'll see. Um, the world's changing pretty quickly with all that, so who knows? Um, yeah, look, it's nice to see the progress. It's just nice to get a story that isn't coronavirus related, yeah. to be brutally honest. A sporting story that's not related to it or football players doing stupid things. So, no, it's a positive step. And, and you know, the ARDC and Sydney Motorsport Park come in for some flack at times, and there are reasons for that. But full credit to what they've done and the New South Wales government as well for putting the money up and, and making this facility, it's, it's huge. And their occupancy is something like 96% of, in terms of being booked. So they're the only track in a metro area with five and a half, six million people. Um, so it's no wonder. Um, but they're basically not doubling, but certainly adding a massive portion to their ability to use the racetrack and use the facility by not shutting it at six o'clock at night by able to go right through till whenever you can. And being out in the West, there's no one nearby. You can run it till midnight, I would imagine, and get away with it. So, um, yeah, it, look, it's positive. It's great. And and that first Sydney Super Night event was awesome. I really loved it. So hopefully they can capture that again with some permanent lighting. Well, hopefully they have a Wednesday night race. I mean, go full NASCAR spec. NASCAR's 100%. kicking off their season with a whole heap of uh, Wednesday night races. They've got five races within 14 days and that's another story entirely what they've got going over there in NASCAR but it's also handy that they've put some lights in for Team Sydney yeah not that they're ever going to end up there but sure at least when they're working late on the cars they won't have to worry about bumping into something as they walk out they've got to move yet yeah well either way cams are going to have a or Motorsport Australia will have a um a center of excellence there I think they're planning so um Actually, there's a juicy rumour that that's where the old F4 cars are going to end up and they'll use those as like a ah, school car running yeah. at Sydney Motorsport Park. Anyway, that's interesting. Um, but the, that the, the big story, boys, of the week that we should probably dive into, and, and I've done a bit of research on this, um, is a story that broke in the uh, AFR, the Australian Financial Review, earlier this week that Channel 10 may be out of the running for the next round of supercars TV rights, which are currently being negotiated amongst all the other stuff going on. Um, which puts supercars in an awkward position because Fox Sports and Foxtel are in a world of drama as well. They're the primary backer of the, the TV rights for supercars, a six-year, $241 million deal that comes to an end this year. Um, and the word on the street is that 10 could be out of the show. So th- this, this will have some flow and effects um, with the sport and what happens with this absolutely critical next set of TV rights deal. So I thought it might be worth us diving into that a little bit and just breaking down some of the figures. And let's just see if it is actually a massive nightmare or if it is just a little bit overblown reporting and try and work out where it's at, yeah? Yeah, sounds great. So I've crunched some numbers. And um, the Supercars TV deal, as I said, $241 over six years, which is about $40 million a year. Now, there's a cash component and there's a contra component to that. So part of that $241 million is 10 and Fox 
giving supercars free advertising, whether it's a, a TV ad during Selling Houses Australia or Channel 10 running a supercars ad for the next round during Have You Been Paying Attention or a popular show, whatever it might be. There's a, a certain amount of contra, but we'll never know what that figure is. So let's just work on $40 million a year for six years is the value. Now, Fox have not only all of the exclusive rights to Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but they also own the digital rights for KO. So of that $40 million, it would be reasonable to assume that they're tipping in anywhere between 25 and $30 million of that $40 million a year to oh, buy yeah. those rights. That sounds fair. Twenty-five, fifteen would be about right. Yeah. So that, that does that sound logical to you too? Yeah, it does. So 10, 10 have how many races? Five or six? Well, well 10 they normally, last, and, then the, and then the highlights. Yeah, well, 10 have the majors. So the major government-funded events, um, Adelaide, Townsville, after a four-month break from the Adelaide 500. Yeah. Um, one of the Enduros, but I think they're contracted to Sandown because that was a talking point earlier yeah, that the correct. bins this year won't be on free-to-air, though that could all change. Um, Bathurst and Gold Coast. Gold Coast and Newcastle. Yeah. Okay. So last, last year they had 18 days on television on Channel 10. Fox was basically four times that with all the Fridays and Saturdays and everything else that they did. Um, but the interesting thing is Channel 10 paid last year 20 million bucks a year, $100 million over five years to get the rights to the Melbourne Cup and the Spring Racing Carnival in Melbourne. So, but it's just the Cup Carnival. So it's four days, four days. of TV coverage. So Derby Day, the Cup, Oaks, and Stakes Day. And last year, it had its worst ratings ever. Um, the Melbourne Cup drew an average Metro audience of 1.3 million people. The Bathurst 1000 across Fox and 10 drew almost exactly the same audience. The Channel 10 component was 800,000, Fox about 450. But the average supercar race on Channel 10 last year had an average audience of 288,000 people. The other events in the Cup Carnival on Channel 10, Derby Day was 181,000, nothing. Oaks Day, 203. Uh, and Stakes Day, 136,000, which isn't even in the top 40 TV ratings on that day. So outside of the Cup, it doesn't rate even slightly. So 1.8 million total audience, supercars, 4.5 million. So if Channel 10 are willing to spend 20 million bucks a year for what is essentially one race, how do you value 18 days of live sport and a much higher cumulative audience and a much higher average audience across that spread? So the, the stories that came out of this, and this is my point, the stories that came out of this news this week was that it's all doom and gloom. Supercars are never going to get a free-to-air deal might not be any free-to-air, they're going to be broke, rah, 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 if you read some of the comment sections. I don't think it's that bad because the product still stacks up pretty well on free-to-air TV relative to an equivalent sport that they've bought the rights for a lot of money to, which doesn't do that well, or at least didn't last year. So my argument is that, yes, it's a massive concern if 10 aren't in the rights, but I don't think it's end of world scenario for supercars because the product still draws an audience. Discuss. Well, the thing is, Rich, there's been an absolute bloodbath in all of the media, whether mm. it's television, subscription Rift. television, 
newspapers, magazines. And, you know, there's different models of how those different forms of the media get their cash. I mean, advertising has been just hammered. Everyone's just pulled the pin on their advertising. Obviously, there's daily staples that are through the roof. There's winners and losers in all this coronavirus, but a lot of the traditional advertisers have pulled back, whether it's their digital spend or whether it's in their magazines or newspapers, whatever. But all those outlets are really struggling. And you look at subscription television, Foxtel, they've sacked so many people. And even from the Fox Sports side of things, we know so many people in that area who've been benched. And it's awful. Like They're the best operators in the business. And they're out on their bum at the moment without a job. And obviously, Foxtel is a bit unique. Like it, it was having a bit of a battle anyway because we had all these interrupters come in in the form of Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime, Stan, all these low-cost, you know, Netflix, what's it, $13, $14 a month. And then they've responded with the KO product, which is $25 a month. Previously, back in the day, if you wanted Foxtel with sport, you were looking at 100 over 100 depending on what uh, exact package you wanted to put together there. Whereas now you can get Netflix with KO and it's 40 bucks. So you've saved yourself 60 bucks a month mm. by not paying full whack to, to Foxtel. So they're, they're having a bit of a battle and having a real battle at the moment because everyone who was into Foxtel for the sport component, well, there's no sport. Mm. So why are they hanging around paying 100 bucks a month? They're not. They've all unsubscribed. So Foxtel's having a, a really hard time with it. The, what the, that means moving forward, you know, that's it's what, what we've got to work out. But these TV subscriptions, especially the free-to-air, they would pay overs for these sports rights to, as a loss leader to get eyeballs in, to get those male eyeballs in on the weekend, and they'd advertise their wares. You know, they wouldn't make their money back on an AFL contract or NRL. And you look at Channel 9, they're trying to offload the NRL. Yeah. yeah, or they want the NRL's digital properties as well if, if they're going to keep the NRL. And the interesting thing for me is how the networks view what has been an interesting last two months without any live sport and what may be another month or so. So there'll be a three to four month period where the networks haven't had live sport. And what will be interesting to me is to see what that final net revenue figure for them will be without live sport. Obviously, they pay a lot of money for the rights. And then on top of that, you've got to end, then end broadcast uh, quality as well. So the advantage that Supercars has is that the broadcast deal is part of the rights as far as I'm aware. I don't think that the, the networks actually pay an extra fee over and above the $40 million a year for Supercars. I don't, exactly, they don't. Whereas with football, you pay the rights $1.2 million for the AFL or billion dollars for then the you AFL pay to for produce five, it as well. And then you've got to pay to produce it. So that's where supercars does stack up really well is that the production cost is also included in the actual rights. So the value of it is much more cost effective than adding $1.2 billion or $400 million a year over three years or whatever it might be and then having to add another $100 million on for production each, uh, each year. The... the- no one will argue that sports rights anywhere in the world are going to be much cheaper next deal than they are now. Well, they just no have to one, be. Yeah, they have to be. It's not, and, and it's where even when the AFL did their deal with $2.1 billion for six years, like even then we went, man, that's just ridiculous. It's yeah. not worth that much money. And I think seven came out at the time and I could be wrong, but 
I'm pretty certain they came out at the time and said, we won't make money out of this, but that's not the point because we can use it to on sell other things. Um, but th- this is a perfect storm for supercars because the timing is horrendous. Um, and if they had another year to go, I reckon they'd breathe easy. But the fact that this is happening now in the middle of a rights deal and that all the free-to-air networks have got no money to spend and Foxtel was hemorrhaging cash and it's in $2 billion of debt and um, they're hemorrhaging subscribers as well, then that's not, that's not a good position to be in when you're trying to get money out of them. So there's no doubt it's not going to be this, the same money. The, the, other, the, the thing is, though, it's chicken and the egg. So all of these networks, be it free-to-air or pay, have torn up audiences, they've torn up advertising. But what's going to bring it back is live sport because people watch it. It's a proven factor that people will watch live sport. It is the highest rated thing on Australian television every year are the two football grand finals and then a string of the major games. And then... State of origin. That, yeah, exactly. And then and then the MasterChef finale or whatever it might be. So... um. So it's chicken and the egg. They won't want to spend the money, but to get their audience back and their advertisers back, they're going to have to spend some. So there's still going to be a discretionary spend to get live sport because it is still the only game in town. The X factor for me, and there'll, there'll be a point where supercars go, we're going to get X, Y, Z money. So let's say they go, they've been offered a hundred million dollars instead of the 240 they're getting now there'll be a point where they have to go, right, how do we make this work for ourselves? And, and the area that I keep coming back to is the digital rights. Now, Australian sport and the Australian consumer is not quite ready for a purely digital sports rights deal. So if the AFL went, we're getting rid of Channel 7, we're getting rid of free-to-air, we're just going to be on... Yahoo or Google or whatever it is, there would be rights because people aren't ready for that. I don't think not yet, but it's only three or four years away. I don't think they're far away from it. And, and already we've seen some sports going down that model. English premier league is shown exclusively in Australia on Optus vision, um, which is a thing. Um, so if you're an Optus telecommunication, that no one has, well, but it, apparent, but it gets good money. They pay huge cash yeah, for it. There's going to be a tipping point, boys, soon where Facebook comes along or YouTube comes along, and these are the two major ones, and goes, supercars, we want Bathurst. We want it. We'll pay you $10 bucks a year. And there's going to be a point where that decision has to be made. My argument is, is if next year is not looking great, I reckon you dive early. Have a crack. If You have nothing to lose because you're not going to make the money anyway. But throw a speculator out. See what happens. Um, Google own YouTube. Mm. So, and the thing is that Google's really sophisticated with their advertising. They yeah. get all of the ad spend that's out there in the marketplace these days. Yeah. So $15 million to a Google is absolutely the change that you find down the back of the couch. Yeah. So it's not a problem to them. And the other thing I'd say about that is that I think the market is changing. Like this, coronavirus people are getting locked in for a couple of months people are changing their habits mm. they are getting on to netflix they are changing how they purchase things they buy things online people are have figured out that this is what you got to do to get by and how things are going to go in the future you know, free to air at the moment it's still trickling along the news is still rating very good as everyone sort of wants to know how many people caught the lurgy today sort of thing so the tv the current affairs still going very good and even masterchef like it's 
nowhere at the moment. You know, a few of the reality there is going okay, but do, do people still watch free-to-air? I mean, I know I don't. Shabex, do you watch free-to-air? Uh, marginally, yeah. I watch the news and watch a couple of shows that I've been watching for a long time, but that's about it. Uh, yeah, I've really got onto Netflix, and that was going to be my next question was, at the moment, Netflix and Stan, even Amazon Prime, none of them really have done sport yet, have they? There's an opportunity for sport to be done on one of those streaming channels. Yeah, 100% there is. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Amazon would be a huge, a huge driver for that because they've got more money than God. Um, yeah, it would make sense. And, and because you could engineer a deal that ticks all the boxes because you could do it could be the Amazon prime supercast championship because God only knows they're going to need a new title sponsor soon as well with what Virgin's going through. So, um, talk, geez, talk about it being a perfect storm for these guys. You'd hate to be in the admin of that series at the moment, wouldn't you? Um, I agree with you though, Richard, about the fact that Australia is not ready for a full on digital series. And it was only five or six years ago that we have to remember the change from analog to digital TV here in Australia Mm. and the, the shit storm that was kicked up by people in regards to Seven putting supercars on Seven Mate at the time and yeah. taking it off their main channel. Uh, so that, the, that was pretty the big. The interesting thing for me, Shebex, that, that proves my point that we're not ready yet, and, but it is, and it'll be a couple of years if that. So KO was introduced, what, 18 months ago? Yeah, two years, yeah. Yep. And, and, and if you listen to forums and read Facebook, Second Coming, and it's great, fantastic thing. And there were countless stories of punters popping up on social media last year going, I've ditched Foxtel. I'm only watching supercars through KO. That's great. Fantastic. And that shows that there is a willingness for people to move over. And it's not just supercar fans. It's Aussie rules and NRL and the other sports they've got. But last year, and now KO is not rated. You cannot find their TV rating. So do not release their number of viewers for any of it. Last year, Foxtel had their biggest ever year of supercar TV ratings since they bought the rights. So even with this shift to KO, more people watched supercars on Fox Sports last year than they did before. And the percentage of audience watching on free-to-air compared to pay TV was actually larger last year than it was ever before. I wonder whether Foxtel have done a little bit of a shifty there because KO is just reproducing Fox Sports motor racing channel. I wonder whether KO... Uh, whether Fox Sports actually include the KO numbers because they do own. Yeah. No, they don't. The they, they've, they don't. They, they've been quite clear about that before. Okay. It's just, it's not, because it's a completely different delivery method. It's not yeah, even, okay. it's, it's not the same as broadcasting something either via satellite, via cable or via free-to-air TV. So, but they just don't release. They, they tell you how many subscribers they've got. And in their last annual report, it was just over 420,000. About 330,000 of those were paying subscribers. Um, so it's a meaningful audience they've got. And when you times 25 bucks a month by 330,000... 60 mil good, a month, isn't it? It's pretty good revenue, isn't it? So, um, was it 6 mil a month? Uh, I, don't, I don't know, Shebex. You're talking to the wrong yeah, person. Six, yeah, just uh, 6 to about, 7 mil a month. About maths, yeah. But, um, but yet the TV broad TV numbers continue to climb. So we're not far away. I I don't think we are. And YouTube have come out this week, one of their high rollers and said they're working with the English premier league, apparently to show more games live when the EPL comes back um, in the English season, when they start getting rid of some restrictions and sport comes back. So there's more smart TVs out there as that starts to change. 
the viewing habits will start to change as well. Once, if we had to hop on our laptop and watch supercars, it would be an absolute disaster. But if all we're going to do is just push another button on our TV and go from free to air to YouTube by pushing a button and watch supercars, it'll happen. But would it though, Mark? Because how much stuff do you watch on your phone? depends where I'm at work. Um, it can be on my computer screen or my phone. It just depends what, what day <laughs> of the week it is. But like I've got the YouTube app on TV and yeah. that's all I ever watch. Like you can, the back catalogue there, whether it's right or wrong, you can look up any race that's ever happened in the history of time. You just go for a walk through 1980s IndyCar race and there's some fantastic stuff there. So I don't bother with pretty much any of the new stuff that's on, on TV, unfortunately. And hilarious no, dog and cat stuff too. Things oh, with them so doing good. funny stuff. It's just great. Well, I, I spent most of last night on YouTube watching um, World War II aircraft engines being started up. Wow. So, what a sad life. Yeah, I know, mate. I live a, Don't disclose I, that. I live a thrilling, thrilling lifestyle. Do you want me to cut that out of the broadcast? Or no, 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 no. That in? Okay. No. Okay, actually, can you, can you put it up the front now? <laughs> Shot That's our highlight of the week. <laughs> no, it's true. A Rolls-Royce Merlin engines. On a like on a bench or whatever, some lunatics out there. It's amazing. I recommend wow. it. Compelling watching. You've been an hour, two hours, easily. That's and exactly then ep- what I'm. Once we're finished, that's exactly what I'm going to go do. Old, old episodes of Grand Designs. It's terrific. <laughs> anyway, the point is um, that it, it's a massive challenge for supercars, but I, but through adversity comes opportunity, and there is a real chance here for them to do something different. I don't know if it'll happen. I'm not sure if they're at that point of just throwing caution to the wind and seeing what happens. At the very least, I'd love to see them get their own digital rights back. And I and, and Fox won't let them go. If Fox are back on board, Fox will do everything they can to prop up KO because, as Mark said earlier, that's going to be where everyone's going. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to see them own their digital rights and find a way for a six bucks a month or whatever it is, 10 bucks, 12 Netflix money, supercars TV on the app, watch all the old races, watch new races, watch everything live, whatever it might be, get the boys to film some exclusive content. They're going to have to go down that road eventually. And if they're not going to get big bucks for the next TV rights deal, they've got to stick their neck out and go, how do we find a way to monetize our sport? A different way and maybe they're a couple of years ahead of the curve but down the road i reckon ultimately it would pay off but that's okay, so me. they so they have less money coming in we've got a hard reset coming up with gen 3 very shortly where mm. we can just start again we can start with cheap cars i mean the, the thing that's going to gut the industry that's going to save the industry money but it's going to gut it at the same time is if we go to a spec style sort of a thing like a a, a ta2 or a gt3 or whatever formula we come up with that's easy to run that doesn't mm. need all this maintenance that's cheap you're going to have to sack a lot of people and that's going to be the unfortunate thing that's going to keep this alive is that you've got some of these teams that have 60 people and you're going to have to fire 40 of them because we're going to a simpler car it's going to keep the whole thing rolling but at the same time it's a, a bad thing to happen as well yeah and no, and Shebex, you can comment on this because aussie rules football and the nrl are in exactly the same boat now in that yeah. they're talking about reducing football departments by potentially a half. So all the people sitting up there in the coach's box punching laptops, they're going to disappear. And so, there's no doubt about that. Life as we knew it two months ago will be totally changed in every aspect of life as we knew it, whether it be sport, whether it be 
the way we shop, whether it's the way we eat, all that sort of stuff. And sport will be hit hard. There's no no doubting that. They're already saying that football clubs are going to lose an absolute you know, millions and millions and millions off the back of this. They won't be afford. They won't be able to afford anyone. But and and to Mark's point, there, there's an argument to be made against going down that route. You don't want to see people out of jobs. It's terrible. But sometimes there's casualties to win a war. And and it sounds terrible, but it's a fact that to make the sport ongoing and keep people employed in it and, and not just people in the teams, but me, you guys, um, the, the sponsors, the people that work full-time on motorsport sponsorship, the people in the media, our colleagues, the list goes on and on and on. It's such a broad sphere to keep that whole industry going. There's going to be some losses along the way to get it to a point where it's more sustainable. And it start, it's going to start with the TV deal and losses taken in that for long-term sustainability, I think. So yeah, tough, tough times, man. It's yeah. going to be real tough, but I started this by going, I just, I, there were a lot of discussion this week about this channel 10 thing that supercars are buggered. And I don't think they are because I still think there's value in the product. And we've charted all the numbers really closely on the race talk for the last two years. And I, I've got enough belief in the product that there's still enough value in it that there, there is hope that a TV deal that will be decent will come out of this at some point. I just don't believe that deal will be done with Channel 10. I think it'll be done with Channel 7. Well, no one's talked about nine in this either. Nine no, are going that's true. Right Especially the if they bone the NRL and they've got money to spare from that, there could be that opportunity. But I think the fact that we've got an ex-CEO of Supercars, who's now the CEO of Channel or Network 7, I think uh, is a, a valuable asset. Seven are broke, Shebex. They're not going real well. They're slashing costs, yeah. slashing staff. And that was happening before coronavirus as well. Mm, I don't know. It's tough. It, it makes sense. Uh, it, it does, 100%. But um, given they've got the ARG stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. Time times. will tell. It certainly is. Boys, fantastic, fascinating chat. Thank you so much for being a part of it. It was deep. Yeah. Good chat, lads. Probably, probably the deepest we've been. <laughs> well, there, there's always some serious stuff in it, isn't there? But anyway, uh, it's been a good show. We've had some excellent guests. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. No, nothing. Just say goodbye. Goodbye. See you, Mark. See you, Mark. See you, folks. Thanks for being with us tonight, or this week, I should say, and we'll uh, join you again next week right here on The Grid. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.